Well, I want to uh, I want to just invite you to take your Bibles out, and we're going to get right into it this morning. Uh, if you weren't here with us last week, uh, we began a series in the book of Colossians. And so I want you to turn there to the little letter to the Colossian church in your New Testament. And we're just going to jump right in today. You know, I, I love this letter. And, and my intention in my heart, I shared this last week, is to just allow the flow of the text to dictate the course of our conversation. As we move through this, it's a good reminder for us as a church sometimes. As much as I, even as a pastor, love to preach topical sermons and, and address issues that, that I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart, I think it's healthy for us as a church to just open our Bibles from time to time and just say, whatever, whatever is written in the text, that's just going to be the direction that our conversation goes. And so for this series, that's exactly what we're doing. We're walking line by line through the book of Colossians, and my prayer is that you discover what many of us have already discovered to be true, is that the Word of God is alive, that the Word of God is active, it is powerful, and it is applicable in your life. God wants to speak to you from His Word, and He doesn't need my help to do it. If we'll just open our hearts to His Word and let God speak to us, I believe He will. And so, uh, we're not going to do a lot of review from last week, but I do want to start in verse 3 of chapter 1, because uh, what Paul does is, and he does it here, he does it often in his writing, Paul will have a thought, and then he'll, he'll start to share that thought. And then that thought makes him think of another thought, so he'll share that thought. But then that thought is really good, and it makes him think of a third thought. And what happens is Paul starts a sentence, and then, you know, about a paragraph later, he's still in the same sentence, but he's moved a long ways away from the first thought. In fact, maybe the reason I like the Apostle Paul so much is because that reminds me of my sermons sometimes. <laughs> like, I had this thing I wanted to say, and last weekend we kicked off this series, and I thought I was going to share chapter 1, verse 1 through 15, but I got a couple thoughts in, and they made me think of some other thoughts. And those thoughts led to some other thoughts, and we didn't get very far last weekend. But neither does Paul as he's writing this letter. In fact, look at verse 3. This is right in his introduction. He says this. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, that's the thought. That's what he's trying to get to. But he's going to say a whole lot before he gets back to praying. He goes on in verse 4 to say, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of God's people. So then he spends the next several verses, and we spent all of last week, looking at all the reasons that Paul thanks God when he prays for the church. He saw that their faith was growing and that their love for God's people was increasing. And then he says, in fact, what is happening in you is not unique. It's what's happening everywhere the gospel is going all over the world. This is the result of the gospel. You have faith in God and you have more love for God's people. And so Paul just begins to expound on how, how awesome it is, the work that God is doing. But, but eventually he gets back to the thought in verse 3 of praying for the church. And then in verse 9, he says this, For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And let me just say, it's not hard for a pastor to pray for people who are living a faith-filled life. 
I mean, he just kind of went down this rabbit hole of all the things that's happening because of their faith and the gospel's going forth and their trust in God is increasing and their love for God's people. And he's full of gratitude and he says, because of that, for this reason, from the day we first heard about you until now, we have not stopped praying for you. But I'm so glad he didn't stop there. I'm so glad he didn't just say, we're praying for you. Maybe you've had somebody do that to you before. You know, you, you, you open your heart up, you, you pour your guts out, you know, you're just, you're just like, this is everything going on in my life. It's all on the table, you know. You feel a little bit vulnerable, and then their only response is, I'll pray for you. You had that before? You know, I mean, it's not that it's not good. You want the prayer. Of course, you know what you, you know, well, thank you. You know, you just, but in your heart, you're like, I, you got anything else? Like, maybe, like, like how are you going to pray for me? Or, or maybe what would be better is like, would, you're, you're right here. We're together. What if you just put your hand on my shoulder and pray for me right now? How many of you know sometimes we, we, we miss out on being used by God with the words, I'll pray for you, when what we should do is just say, let me pray for you. And so I'm so glad that Paul didn't just, you know, I mean, Epaphras is the one that, that, that came to Paul. He, I've said this last week, but Paul actually never went to Colossae. He never met these Christians. He preached in Ephesus, and Epaphras and his friends went and planted the church. Now Epaphras is visiting Paul in a Roman prison, and he's telling him all the stuff that's going on, and Paul feels inspired to write to the church, and he hears everything happening. I, I pray for you. And then it's almost like in this moment, Paul opens his prayer journal, and he's got like all the ways that he prays for the churches in Colossae and Laodicea and Heropolis. And, and I don't know that he did this, but it just it kind of reads this way. Like Paul, he says, I pray for you. I thank God for you often. And then it's like he opens his journal and he just starts writing down for them all the ways that he prays for the church. And, and here they are in Colossians 9, or 1, verse 9 through 12. I, before I dissect it, I just want us to read this together. Look at it with me. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, here comes maybe the longest sentence you've ever read. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, still the same sentence, we're not done yet, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You talk about a preacher on a rabbit trail. But I love that Paul did this. I love that Paul didn't just say to Epaphras, Epaphras, tell the church I'm praying for them. Thanks, Paul. No, I'm, I, he, there's seven things I'm praying for this church. And, and as Paul begins to share his prayer list, I, I believe it's, a, it's an invitation for us to know how to pray for the church. 
And maybe, maybe you're one of those people who's like, I don't really know how to pray for people. And, and you're maybe intimidated at the idea of, of putting a hand on somebody's shoulder and saying, let me pray for you. Or, or maybe the idea of coming to a, a midweek prayer gathering from 7 to 8 o'clock scares you because you're thinking, I don't know what I would do for an hour-long prayer meeting. I mean, I, I can pray hard for like six minutes, and then I'm like, squirrel. You know, you know. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have that many things to pray about. Well, I want to tell you, sometimes the most powerful prayers we can pray is when we just take the word of God and let that be our template as we go before the Lord. That's why I never come to the prayer gathering without my Bible or a journal. Because if I want to pray, I believe God wants to speak. And if God wants to speak, I think it's important enough to write down what he tells me. But we're going to open the word and we're going to use Paul's seven prayer points in Colossians 1, 9 through 12, as a template for us to pray. If you didn't prepare for this, prepare now. This is going to be a, an, an interactive worship experience. This is going to be a, a sermon that, that requires your participation. So let me share the first one with you. If you're a note taker, it's this. You can pray that they understand God's will. Look at verse 9 again. He says, we continually ask God... To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, let me just begin by saying that God does have a unique purpose and plan for everyone. He has a purpose. He has, he has a design for your life and for your loved one's lives. And so we ought to pray that they figure that out. We ought to pray that they understand the will of God. I love Ephesians 2.10 because in that letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, for we are God's handiwork. That word handiwork is where we get the word poetry. We're the craftsmanship. We're the lyric. We are the handiwork of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. So, so just like a, a beautiful poem, there's a, a tempo and a rhythm and a rhyme scheme. There's an ebb and a flow to what God wants to do in and through your life. He prepared it in advance. And so God has a will for you. And so here in Colossians, Paul actually gives us the key to knowing the will of God. Man, if this is the only thing you came to church for, this is, this is worth the price of admission right here. I'm going to give you the key to knowing the will of God. No, there wasn't actually a price of admission. Some of you were like, I, I, didn't, I didn't even pay. But Paul says, here's, here's how you understand the will of God. And the key is it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who fills you. Look at verse 9. He fills you with wisdom and understanding about God's will. So Paul's first prayer that he prays, and he said, I always pray for you, and I always pray with thanksgiving in my heart. His first prayer that he prays is that, that he's acknowledging their need for the Holy Spirit. I, I just last week, I had a conversation with one of our VBS workers, and I shared this on Wednesday night in our prayer gathering, but I want to tell you now, they said of all the things that happen at VBS, what blessed me the most is at the end of each night, you invited the kids to come to the altar, and you gave them a chance to pursue God. I love that. I've been a part of a lot of VBSs before, and we've taught a lot of great lessons, but there's never been that moment 
And I told that volunteer on our team, I said, there's a good reason for that. There's a reason we do that every night because we believe that our assignment is not just to give information, it's an impartation. We do not ever want to discredit the work of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of even our youngest believers. Amen. Amen. And as they're discovering the will of God in their life, even as children, we're praying the way that Paul prayed, that they would, they would have the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Several of our kids are, are leaving tomorrow to go to kids' camp. In fact, you, you probably saw the sub-sale stuff out in the lobby uh, Thank you for supporting them. For those of you that bought subs, they're here. Enjoy lunch. But the reason that we invest money and time and resources and volunteers to send our kids to those camp experiences is because we have confidence that those are moments of impartation. That every day around the altars, God's going to move in their life. They're going to begin to hear and know his voice, and it's going to change their life. That's why Jesus said in John 14 to his disciples in verse 26, he said, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Jesus was saying to his disciples what Paul was praying for the church in Colossae. You need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be the one that teaches you wisdom. The Holy Spirit's going to be the one that reminds you of everything that Jesus has said to us. It's the Holy Spirit. And so here's how we pray. We can pray that the Holy Spirit will fill God's people with wisdom and understanding to know God's will for their lives. I wonder if there's anybody even here this morning that as I'm talking about praying for others, you're thinking, man, I need to know God's will in my life. We've all been there at some point. We'll be there again. But could you just right now join me? Let's take a moment right where we're seated, and let's just pray for God's people. You say, well, who am I praying for specifically? Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit who we want you to pray for right now? If he doesn't say anybody, pray for me. I could use it. My name's Aaron. Just, just lift me up to the Lord. But let's ask the Holy Spirit right now to strengthen the church. God, we thank you today that the Spirit of Jesus is operating on the earth and in the church, in your people right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you sent your Holy Spirit to be our advocate, to be our counselor, to be the one that comes alongside us, to give us the wisdom and the understanding that we need to discover and to walk in the will of God for our lives. So, Lord, we pray right now. Lord, for, for those that, that are struggling to, to know the will of God, for our family members and our friends that maybe they just keep going from job to job and from relationship to relationship, and they're looking to know your will. God, would you just fill them with your spirit? God, as they seek you, would you give them a fresh touch from heaven that they would understand your will and your purpose for their lives. God, we thank you for leading and guiding your people. Thank you that you didn't, you didn't leave us alone to, to crack the code, to figure it out on our own. But God, in your grace, you sent your Holy Spirit to unlock the key 
to the purpose and plan that you have for us, prepared in advance good works to do in Christ Jesus' name. We thank you for it. Amen. Amen. Now now look with me at verse 10, because right after he says that, he goes on to say this. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. He says, I'm praying that you be filled with the Spirit, but I'm also praying that you please and honor God. That's a great prayer that you can pray for people, that they please and honor God with their lives. You know, Revelation speaks about a great white throne judgment, a moment where there will be an account given for sin. But if you're saved, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord, you don't have to worry about that judgment. You don't have to worry about going before the great white throne because your sins have already been paid for. The Bible says that God remembers them no more. He's cast them as far as the east is from the west. So we can take a sigh of relief today as we sing, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will live forever. We can rejoice in singing that because we know we don't have to give an account for our sins. Jesus already has. But I want you to know today there's another judgment that the Bible speaks about. There's another judgment seat. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And every Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul talked about it in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. In 2nd Corinthians 5:10 he said this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. He said there's a day coming when you're going to give an account for your actions. Not for your sins, but you're going to give an account for the deeds that you did in the body. In 1 Corinthians 3, he said this, talking about those that build their life on the foundation of Christ. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about us. He said this, if anyone builds on this foundation of Jesus using gold, silver, or costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, that's the day of judgment, the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If it has been built, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Talking about your experience in front of the judgment seat of Christ. But look at verse 15. This is a sobering verse. It says, if what you have built is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. What a sad reality. I mean, heaven's going to be great, all right? Let me, just, let me just qualify this statement with saying, heaven's going to be amazing. An eternity in the presence of God. It's going to be awesome. But this verse says that when we get there to God's throne room, 
Can you imagine what it would feel like to, to, to live your life in the hopes of, of heaven and seeing the glory of God? And then you're there. And everybody's worshiping and the 24 elders are casting down their golden crowns and, and everybody's bringing their, their offerings and all the jewels and the crowns that you've earned for your good deeds. Everybody's laying them at the feet of Jesus because what else would we do but bring all that we have and lay it at his feet? But you, you're there and you don't have any crowns. You, you didn't do any deeds that, that amounted to gold and silver and precious stone you spent your life just kind of living for yourself and yeah I got Jesus but I'm not using my time I'm not using my talent I'm not using my resources for the kingdom I'm just kind of living for myself and hope I get to heaven one day the Bible says in that moment empty-handed in the throne room you will be in heaven but you will be there with tears it's a powerful thought you'll be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. So, so Paul says, here's how we can pray for the church. Pray that they please and honor God. Pray that your life has eternal substance to it. Maybe you know some folks right now that if you, if you tried to tell them about Jesus, if you tried to tell them they ought, to, they ought to trust him and give him everything, they'd look at you like you're crazy. They'd say, what are you talking about? I'm a Christian. I'm saved as you are, but, but you, your heart goes out to them because you look at their life and you know that the life they're living is not pleasing and honoring God. They might be a Christian in name or in association with a church, but, but you're looking at their life and you go, man, they're, they're not making the right choices. They're so talented. They're not, they've got so much opportunity. They've got so much potential. They're wasting it. The Bible says one of the ways you can pray for them is to pray that they would please and honor God. So can we do that right now? As the Lord maybe put someone on your heart today, just begin to pray for them. Father, I thank you that you have a, a unique call and a purpose on every person. There's no one that you saved that isn't also useful for service. God, I, I pray for those that have just sidelined themselves. Maybe, maybe because they don't think they're talented enough. Maybe because they don't think they're capable or they don't know the Bible enough. Maybe, maybe they've been sidelined and distracted by all the cares of this world that, that chokes out at the life of Christ. But God, I pray today that you would bring them back to their God-given purpose. Lord, that they would not only understand the will of God for their life, but that they would devote themselves to pleasing you. That they would care more about your smile than likes and follows and hearts and in the approval and the accolades of men. God, we want to please and honor you maybe today you even want to pray that for your own life maybe you've been living for the applause of people instead of the applause of heaven today make it a commitment to say God I want to please you I want to honor you with my life Lord I want to stand before your throne with hands full of rewards that have endured the flyer of the fire of judgment I, I want to I want to come before your throne rejoicing 
in worshiping you and pouring out all the deeds done in the body as an offering of worship to my Lord because you deserve it, Jesus. Help us to live a life worthy of the one who died to save us. In Jesus' name. Now look with me at the next part of verse 10. Because Paul then goes on to say this. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. But that's not the end of the sentence because when he starts thinking about living a life worthy of pleasing the Lord, then he goes, oh, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work. Here's a third way you can pray for believers. Pray that their life bears fruit. Pray that their life bears fruit. Even the apostle Paul asked the church to pray for him for this. In Colossians 4, and we'll get there eventually, Colossians 4, he, he says, pray that God would open a door for the gospel. But he doesn't just stop by saying, pray that God would open a door for the gospel. In verse 4 of Colossians 4, he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. In other words, it's not enough to just preach the gospel. I want to be effective. Pray for me that I'm fruitful. Listen, we don't want you to serve in the church just because we think you're not busy enough. We want you to serve because God's called you to fruitfulness. Yesterday, we had a, a picnic up at the state park for all of our serve team volunteers. And, and just to celebrate and say thank you. Not just because you've done the work, but because the work you're doing is fruitful. This church is strong because of your service. This, this church is healthy because of your service. This church is growing not just because of what I'm doing here and now or because what the people on the platform do, but because day in and day out, week in and week out, the body of Christ is doing the work of the ministry and they're doing it fruitfully. Amen. We praise God for that. Paul qualifies what the work of God is in chapter 3, and eventually we'll get to that. He says to the church in Colossians in chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do, whether it's a word or a deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what Paul was saying is that the work that's supposed to be fruitful is not just the, the pastor's work on Sunday or, or the life group leader's work. The work that's to be fruitful is whatever work you do. And so we can pray for people that are not even in vocational ministry. You can pray for your coworkers. You can pray for your family. You can pray for your spouse as they head out the door. God, make them fruitful today. Not just that they clock in and clock out, but that, that man, everything they do, give them a, a, a blessing like you put on Joseph. That Just everything he led, it just worked. It was just up and to the right. It was always successful. Whether he was leading in the palace or in the prison, always successful. God, make them fruitful. So can we just pray that over our church, over our family? Because here's the thing, sometimes we, we can get discouraged in our work. We can get discouraged. I, I'll never forget my first couple years of youth ministry. After we graduated that first class of seniors out, and you know, some of them went to college, some of them got jobs, and uh, some of them didn't go anywhere. And some of them moved out of state, some of them got married. And as the new school year was starting and all these little sixth graders were coming in, I had those seniors, former seniors on my heart. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to send an email out every Monday morning. Monday morning motivation. Just a little devotional. And I, I'd type up an email and I, and I had a, a, a group of all the youth group graduates. 
And I, every Monday I sent those out. You know, I never, I never got replies. Like, I did it for a long time. And after a while, I was like, I'm in the spam folder. Like, I don't know. I guess young adults don't read email. And, and so after a long time of doing it, I, I just quit doing it. And it was until, it was years later, years later, one of those first graduates, we were in a conversation and she said to me, she said, Pastor Aaron, I just want you to know that that first year out of high school was the toughest year of my life. It was the toughest year of my life. And those emails that you sent on Monday, they meant everything to me. That's one of those moments, you know, years later I look back and I go, wow, thank God that he's faithful to his word. He, God said in Isaiah chapter 55, 11, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Listen, you're not always going to see the success in the moment of your service. But God is faithful to do his part. So we ought to pray and pray that God would make our ministry fruitful. Let's, let's pray right now. Father, Lord, there's so many people that are sitting right here that serve. So Lord, we just lift up the body of Christ right now. Whether they serve on a team here at the church or, or whether they're serving in the community. God, whatever ministry might look like, you said in your word, whatever your hand finds to do, do it unto the Lord. God, we don't want to just work for the sake of being busy. We want to serve to be effective. And so, Lord, I pray right now for the fruitfulness of your people. God, that the work that they do would just have the blessing of heaven on it. That, Lord, it would be productive. That it would be profitable. Lord, you, you said to Abraham you were going to bless him so that he could be a blessing. And you called us in the New Testament the seed of Abraham. So, Lord, you, you've called us to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. So, God, I pray for fruitfulness. Right now, if there's somebody in your life that maybe is struggling to make end meet, ends meet, it just, there's just not enough in the account, why don't you pray for them right now? God, make them fruitful. God, bless the work of their hands. Bless them, God. Increase them. Make them productive, Lord, for your kingdom purpose. You've called them to do good work, to produce lasting fruit in Jesus' name. Let, let me give you a, number four. The fourth way you can pray is to pray that they grow in the knowledge of God. That they grow in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1.10, he says, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, now, next week, you're, you're going to see a little bit more of what's happening in Colossae specifically. A lot of the people in the church had fallen under deception because of corruption that had come into the church. They, they lost sight of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I found to be true is that when you forget that he's everything, you start to believe he's not enough. And that was the danger in the church. They forgot that Jesus is everything, and so they started wanting to add to Jesus. Like, Jesus is amazing, but then we've also got this other thing over here. If you forget he's everything, you'll start to think he's not enough. And Believing in God is different than believing God. 
There's a lot of people that believe in God. You believe in God? Oh, me too. But do you actually believe God? Do you, do you actually trust him? Do you put the full weight of your faith in him? Because in verse 9, what, what Paul was doing is he was praying that they would know the will of God. But now in verse 10, he's actually praying that they would know the ways of God. He said, I pray that you would grow in the knowledge of of God. And that's different than knowing the, the will of God. A lot of us, we pray when we want to know what's next. Like, God, I don't know what to do. So we never get past the first prayer to know the will of God. What's my next? Paul's saying, I don't just want you to know your next. I want you to know his nature. I want you to know what he's like. I want you to grow in the knowledge of God so that whether you have a Bible open or you have a, a sermon that hits home or you don't need anybody, you just have this sense of which direction to go because you know the nature of your father. Jesus said it like this. He said, my sheep know my voice. You ever had that moment in your life where you're maybe in a scrupulous situation? You know, you, you could kind of go either way and then there was just this assurance on the inside. You just knew what you should do. Or maybe in that moment you knew what you shouldn't do. And you didn't have a verse, you didn't have a chapter reference. It was just something on the inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit. You know his nature. You might, you might not be able to back it up with a scripture, but, but you know the nature of God. You walked with him long enough that he, he, he pulls you. The Holy Spirit pulls you in the way of truth. And so Paul says, pray this. I pray often for you, and when I pray, I pray that you grow in the knowledge of God. See, that the Spirit of God will give you the knowledge of God's will, but the Word of God will give you the knowledge of God's ways. A lot of people don't know God's nature because they haven't, they haven't studied God. They haven't read about who He is. Can I, can I just make an observation culturally? I think biblical illiteracy is the Achilles heel of the church. I, I think that's our problem. Like if, we, if we just knew the Bible, we wouldn't be deceived so much. If we just knew the Bible, we wouldn't argue so much. Some of the dumb stuff that people send me on the internet is, is stuff that I learned was untrue in Sunday school as a third grader. Biblical illiteracy is the Achilles heel of the church. It's, it's, we're filled with Christians that want to do God's will, but we insist on doing it our way. We want the spirit to lead, but we don't want the truth. Jesus said in John 4, he said, the time is coming and has now come that the Father is looking for those that would worship him in spirit and in truth. So yeah, we need the spirit of God to navigate us to do his will, but we need the word of God to show us his ways. That way when it's not God's will, it's just last night's pizza, we go, wait, that doesn't line up with the word of God. That can't be God. Are you listening to some crazy prophet on YouTube? You're not going to go out and do something stupid because you can hear that guy preach and go, that's not the way of God. He might be saying, thus saith the Lord, but all the words coming out of his mouth doesn't line up with the way that God speaks. We need to know. We need to know God, not just know about God, not just believe in God. We need to believe God. Paul says, I'm praying that you grow in the knowledge of God. I want to pray that for us as a church. God, help us. Come on, pray with me. God, help us that, that we would be a church 
that is not just spirit-led, but Bible-founded, Bible-grounded. That, Lord, we would know your will, yes, but we would know your ways. That we would know your voice. That, God, we wouldn't be tossed by any wind of doctrine that blows across the cultural landscape. Because we know the Word of God and the God of the Word. Father, I pray that you would give us a faith to step out in confidence Because your word declares that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. So God, help us to grow in knowledge. Lord, for some here that maybe just haven't haven't had a, a, a devotional life in a long time, I pray that in response to this moment, to this prayer of the saints, that there would be a new resolve to open up the word, to get to know the author of life. God, I pray this week that there would be a new hunger that resurges on the inside of us to know your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me tell you the fifth way you can pray. You can pray that they be filled with God's power. You can pray this for yourself as well, that you be filled with God's power. That's what he says in verse 11. Look at verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, if you string these thoughts together, he said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would bear fruit in every good work. I'm praying that you're growing in the knowledge of God. And I'm praying, now I got this other thought, I got to get off my chest, that you be strengthened. Why? Because you were never called to do the good works that God calls you to do in your own strength. So I got to qualify it. I got to make sure you know before you run out and try to do good works and bear rich fruit that you are dependent on the mighty hand of God. You know, I listen to a lot of leadership podcasts, and it seems like every other episode now is somebody talking about burnout. Now, it's been, it's been a rough couple years. Probably at your job, but I can tell you, from, I can speak from experience, it's been a rough couple years. It's been difficult. But, but every time I hear people talk about burnout, I mean, my, my heart goes out to them, and I, and I humbly, I pray, God, God, guard my heart. I, I don't, I don't want to sound arrogant right now. I certainly don't want to burn out in the ministry. But every time I hear talking about burnout, I'm reminded we were never called to do this in our own strength. It will not work. We were never called to do this in our own strength. Paul understood that. His strength, long spent, as he's writing from a Roman prison. I'm reminded of the church in the Old Testament. The Jews had been in captivity in Babylon for many years, and then they came out of captivity, and it's about 530 B.C. They get back to Jerusalem, and what they discover is the temple, the place that was the house of the presence of God, was completely destroyed. I mean, not just, not like a church building like we have today, because we understand that in in the new covenant, the Spirit of God dwells in the hearts of men. That's why God shows up as powerfully in life group as he does on Sunday morning, we, because God's with us. But in the old covenant, the temple was the place God said my presence would live, and it was destroyed. And, and Zerubbabel, one of the leaders, he just could not fathom how they were ever going to rebuild it. And then God spoke a word to him through the prophet Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6. God said, it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's the way 
you're going to build the temple. That's the way you're going to restore the place that houses God's presence. And if I could just make an application quickly, if we look across the landscape of America today, it's not much different. There's a lot of places that used to symbolize the, the presence of God that are absolutely devoid of God's presence today. Our courtrooms, often. Our capital buildings. Our schools. Our homes. Even some of our churches. Places that used to be a holy place that revered the holy word are now a pile of rubble and compromise. And we can look at the landscape today the way that Zerubbabel looked at Israel and say, how in the world is any of this going to be restored? Where's God's remnant people coming from? And the Lord would say to you and I what he said to him. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And as Paul looked at Colossae, and as we look at America today, we should pray that we be strengthened with God's power. That's how the house gets rebuilt. That's how the culture is changed. That's how God's presence comes back. When we are filled with God's power and his strength. Paul said in another letter to the Philippians, in Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we love that verse, but usually when we say that verse, we equate it with winning. You know, it's like Steph Curry, you know, before he goes out on the basketball court, he always writes Philippians 4.13 on the side of his basketball shoes, and he, he intends to go out and win. And isn't that how we are? Like, let, we want to win. I can do all things, namely win. But sometimes doing all things in the strength of God's mighty power is not about winning, it's about weathering. Sometimes we get in situations, there, there is no win scenario. It's just survive. I, I got to get through this. I got to weather this. And I'm telling you, God's mighty power is available there too. That's actually the context Paul was using it in. He said, I've been blessed, I've been cursed. I've been well-fed, I've been hungry. I've worn fine clothes, I've been naked. I've been free, I've been in prison. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes it means winning, sometimes it means weathering, but Paul looked at all he's called us to, to bear fruit and to do good works, and he said, don't forget, you're gonna do it in God's strength, not yours. So we ought to pray for the church. God, strengthen your church with your mighty power. Close your eyes with me one more time. If you're here today and you're saying, I, I need God's power. I feel, I feel my hands are heavy today. I, I'm struggling to worship God. I'm, try, I'm trying to keep everything moving. I'm trying to keep the family together, trying to keep the bills paid, all the stuff. And I feel like burnout is, is right around the corner. God, I pray today for your people that they be filled with God's power. You've called them to good works in Christ Jesus, to bear fruit that would last. God, you have given them an assignment to lead their family, to lead their home, to lead in their career. Whatever it might be, whatever your hand finds to do, do it all to the glory of God with the strength of God. Lord, fill your people with your mighty power today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let me tell you the last two ways that, that we can pray. Number six, 
He said, pray that you have great endurance and patience. Look at verse 11b. After he says that you're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, he says, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Endurance just means don't quit. Just keep on keeping on. Don't quit. Patience means hold on. Just just hold on. Don't throw in the towel. You know what I've discovered about God? He's so good. He's never late. Do you know what else I found to be true? He's rarely early. Right? He's an on-time God. But he's rarely early. That's why Paul knew that perseverance and holding on, not giving up, was just part and parcel with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In Philippians, Paul said, brothers and sisters, I don't consider that I've already attained or taken hold of these things, but here's what I do. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. He said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. And Paul's saying, you ought to just pray that they press on, that they persevere, that they endure, that they don't quit. He told the Corinthian church, he said, don't you know that all the runners run the race, but only one wins the prize? Run in such a way to win. Don't quit. Hold on. Persevere. This Colossian church that Epaphras was telling him about in that Roman prison, they started out well. They started out really well. They were doing good, but you'll see this in the coming weeks. They started facing challenges. Cultural influences in the church. They discovered something maybe you found to be true in 2022. It's hard to stand for truth. It's hard when the culture is against you. That's why Paul prays for endurance. And it's frustrating when things don't go the way that you thought they should go, when you thought they should go there. That's why Paul prays, don't quit. He prays for patience. And then his final prayer, number seven is this. Pray that they stay full of joyful thanks to the Father. Verse 12, he says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. It's like as, as Paul's just kind of thinking through all the things he's praying about them, about their purpose, about God's power flowing through them. He says, by the way, I'm praying that you stay joyful. Can I just remind you, we've got a reason to be joyful this morning. We've got a reason to celebrate. Don't say to me, oh, well, you don't know what I'm going through. No, it doesn't matter what you're going through. You still have a reason to be joyful. Why? Because Jesus qualified you. That's what he's saying. He says, hey, giving joyful thanks to God who qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. In verse 5, Paul was talking about the, the blessings that are stored up for you in heaven. Now, these are some of those blessings. He's saying, look, I don't, I don't know what's going on exactly, but what I, from what I'm hearing, you're dealing with a lot of stuff, but here's what I'm praying for you. No matter how heavy the burden gets, no matter what you deal with or how much the culture fights against the church, you should always have a joyful heart of thanksgiving towards God. Because no matter how bad it looks or what anybody says about you, he qualified you. 
That's the lie of the enemy, to, 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 that you would come into God's house today and think, you know, well, I, I can't sing as loud as everybody else. I'm unqualified. I can't serve. I'm unqualified. Jesus qualifies you. And for that, every one of us, we ought to just take a, a deep breath of grace and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that, that you have qualified me. The truth is, church, it's too easy for us to, to lose our joy amidst all the stuff of life that bombards and fills our days. That's exactly what the Laodicean church did. When Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, it wasn't just for them. In fact, he even says in Colossians 4, 16, he said, after this letter has been read to you, see to it that it's also read to the church of the Laodiceans. Like, he wanted to make sure that they got this message too. So what Paul's praying for the Colossians, that you always be filled with joy in Jesus because he's the only one that can qualify you. He wanted the Laodiceans to hear that message too, but apparently they didn't. They didn't follow his instructions because 30 years later, there's another letter that's written to the church of Laodicea. And this one's not written by the Apostle Paul or Peter or James. This one's from Jesus. John the Revelator gets seven letters from Jesus revealed to him for the churches. And one of them is to the church of Laodicea. And here's what Jesus says to them 30 years later. In Revelation 3.15, he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, the Laodicean church, they were so self-sufficient, they forgot how dependent they were on Jesus. They forgot how desperately they, they said to Jesus, I don't need a thing. But Jesus said in John 14, without me, you can't do a thing. Without me, you can do nothing. Can I just encourage somebody today? Don't ever lose that fullness of joy that comes from knowing that God has qualified me. That, that, that you're not that good. E even on your best day, even when you are winning, to say, you know, it's God. It's God that has graced my life. It's God that has given me this health. It is God that gave me this opportunity. It is God that gave me that family. It is God who put me in this nation, in this generation. It is God's goodness alone that got me here. And on your worst day, when you're weathering the storm, and everybody's slandering your name, and your, your name is mud, you can still take in a deep breath and say, Jesus has qualified me. He has qualified me to be a recipient of an inheritance with his holy people in the kingdom of light. I want to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray one final time. And I just want to pray the word of God once again. Father, right now I lift up, Lord, those that maybe need to be reminded to keep on keeping on. As Paul said, I pray that you would have great endurance and patience. Lord, for those that are just weary in well-doing, 
They feel fatigued. God, I thank you for the promise in your word in Isaiah that declares those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. God, let there be a renewal of strength right now. Somebody that feels like they've been just clinging, hanging on for so long that their hands are sweaty and their grip is loosening. Right now in the spirit, Lord, would you just allow them to just get a fresh grip, to just re-grip, to hold on to your plan, hold on to your purpose, hold on to your promise for their life. I know the enemy wants them to be discouraged, but God, right now, we pray for the church that they would have great endurance, not just a little endurance, great endurance, and patience. For Lord, your word declares, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you faint not. God, give us patience today to trust you. You haven't forgotten us. You haven't forsaken us. You haven't abandoned your plan for our life. We resist and rebuke every lie from the enemy. God, I thank you right now that you're granting patience to the hearts of your people, a fresh resolve to just say, God, I'm going to trust you a little more. Because your mercies are new every day. I'll I'll give you today. I'll trust you today. And I believe you'll give me the resolve for tomorrow. And God, I pray today that our church would be filled with joy. Regardless of what's happening in the world. Regardless of what the the price of gas is. Or or what wars are breaking out in the world. Or or who's in the Oval Office. or, or, Or what's happening in our workplace. Lord, may we always be filled with gratitude and joy because Jesus has qualified us for an eternal inheritance. Because one day we'll gather around your throne with hands and hearts full and we'll lay our offerings at your feet of gold and silver and precious stone, the works that produced much fruit. God, we thank you today. Fill our hearts with gratitude once again. You've been so good. You deserve all of our praise. In Jesus' name. Would you just put your hands together and praise him with me now? Come on. Father, we love you. We worship you. You're so good. We bless your name, Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. As we bring this service to a conclusion.